Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. My next guest, Vicky Pettigrew, is one of my closest friends. A chance meeting at a British Virgin Islands charity yacht show set the groundwork for a great bond between a Kiwi and an Aussie, far away from our homeland. Years later, Vicky relocated to my home state of Queensland here in Australia. I'm keen to chat about past adventures and find out what she's been up to now. Hello, Miss Vicky. Hello, Miss Lisa. <laughs> well, I've kind, of, I've kind of said where you are, but where exactly are you in Queensland? I'm in the Sunshine Coast and I'm based in a town called Caloundra. How, how long does it take for you to get from your house to the beach? Depending on the traffic, but anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Oh, Not very long that is <laughs> fantastic. You, you have the dream environment. You've got the beach and, and a pool at home, so it's perfect with lovely tropical weather for most of the year mm-hmm. we're very spoiled we have um, a very 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 nice house we're very happy with yes but you weren't always living in a tropical sunny climate where are you from originally i'm originally from a little town called tie happy um, which is in the north of new zealand in a, a central north island it, it's taken me forever, but I actually managed to finally get to uh, your beautiful country and and see how amazing it is. Where, where was the place where you've got a street named after your? Is it is it a family member or your your? Oh lo- yeah, Woodles Road. That was my maiden name. Um, yeah, and that's down in Akaroa. That's right. Which is in the South Island, sort of the opposite coast to where Christchurch is. Were there French people that that came to Akaroa at some point? In the history of yeah, that area. yeah, definitely the French and oh, I don't know if they invaded, but they settled there. Um, and there's two two sides to Akaroa actually. There's the English side, and then there's the French side. And obviously, ours is on the English side. It was it was such a beautiful little town. I it I mean just the architecture. I went around taking a gazillion photos, but so 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 beautiful. Um, yeah, so it's you, a, a very nice spot. Oh, definitely. So I, I digress. Go back to Thai Happy. So you 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 were born in that area and and you grew up. What was it like growing up in that area? I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, look, I didn't really appreciate it though at the time, and it's not since I've left there and gone back that I I go back with sort of tourist eyes and look at it, going, "Wow, I can't believe I actually grew up here." Um, I was it, our farm that we were on was in between two of probably the most beautiful rivers or up there and amongst the most beautiful rivers in New Zealand, um, the Rangitiki wow. and the Both crystal clear waters. Uh, Rangitiki was a, a way bigger river, um, probably quite dangerous really. Um, in fact, our next door neighbour actually drowned in that river doing a rafting trip. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty notorious river, but beautiful all the same. 
Um, and the, the Kawatau River used to run between our farms. So we had, there was 400 acres on one side of the farm and then 600 on the other side or 650 or something like that. It was just over 1,000 acres anyway. And what, what did you have on the farm? Um, it was a beef and sheep farm. So, and then um, at one point, the owner of the farm, whom Dad used to help run with, um, he branched out and did blueberries, apricots, and asparagus. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite different. But the asparagus grew really well there. It's perfect climate for it. So was your, your house actually on the farm? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually you... still there. My sister just recently went for a trip out past where we used to live and took photos of the old house. Oh, wow. Yeah. As a little kid, were you, were you sort of part of the – you know, the work on the farm, did you have to get in and sort of milk cows? Oh, or do... I used to, um, I mean, I used to have my own working dog later on, but as a kid, I, I used to always help dad on the farm. We used to ride ride horses everywhere. We didn't have motorbikes on our farm. It was too hilly. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was It was full on. We used to always have to help with the hay, hay picking up hay and feeding out, and we had pigs and chickens and goats we had everything pretty much (laughs) (laughs) so how far was school was it walking distance or did you have to catch a bus to get there um well initially it was mum and dad had to drop us off because they didn't have a bus service and then eventually they got a bus service and we used to catch the bus from our house down the country road which probably took about half an hour I think uh to the main road where we then jumped on um the bus that took the college kids into town and we used to get dropped off at our little school on the way um and then same thing coming home and I do remember one time when mum and dad were both busy I can't remember where they were but we ended up walking home from the bus stop and I think it took us probably an hour and hour and a half or something it was a really long walk but it was fun wow so and as far as friends go I'm guessing they were living a fair distance away not walking distance yeah, I think our nearest neighbours were a quarter of a mile away. Um, and that's the one that I said had passed in the um, accident. But I was really close to the daughter and we used to go horse riding nearly every night after school. Wow. So you yeah, you go on and, and you've you've finished high school. What, what, what did you do after you finished school? Um, I actually left school to help Dad on the farm. And ah. anyone at that point. And I... Loved the farm, loved the work, um, and didn't really have any idea of what I wanted to do. Um, and, yeah, so I left left school to help him on the farm, and I went with him for probably five months or so, I guess, until hmm. I got my first job, which was uh, exercising racehorses in the Hawke's Bay. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite left to feel, but, yeah, that was amazing completely new to me I'd never done that before so that was um <laughs> that was cool so how much how long did it take from it to train you on what you had to do with the horses was there a fairly long period there yeah I mean I wasn't put on any of the difficult horses at first because obviously you know these are horses that can run really fast and also they're on quite a hot diet which means they've got a lot of energy so I used to ride the Mr. Plods until I got better. <laughs> I got better and better. I was um, riding more difficult horses. And then, I, I mean, I did everything pretty much, helped mark out the boxes. Um, 
I even got to sit on the horses when they teach them to go through the starting gate. Oh, wow. On their back and you sit on them for a bit and you just walk them in and out and then you help, uh, then they snap the gates open and you've got to get them to trot and then eventually go from a standing standing stool to a gallop sort of thing. Um, I helped break the horses in. Um, yeah, everything really, exercising them. It was a, it was a really cool job. It, yeah, I, I had no idea that you did that. With it, when you were in that environment, were there any female jockeys at the time? Yeah, there was. Um, and there was a lot of um, female um, stable hands as well. So, yeah, it was. I mean, it's all, it was always, there was always more male than yeah. female. Male-dominated industry at that point. But, um, yeah, no, it was good. I mean, that was it's quite a rough industry too or can be a rough industry so I was just a young kid off a farm I just did as I was told (laughs) so you 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 were doing this for a while what was next after that um what did I do after that I can't remember to be honest I just remember when did you do the bakery oh that might have been after that actually yeah I think you're right I moved home and worked in a um, cafe, coffee, yeah, cafe, coffee shop, helped with the baking, helped running it and stuff. So I did that for a bit. And that's probably where I really started learning how to cook. Um, so baking. did they basically teach you how to make the, the baking from scratch, the cakes, the slices, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah, we had these, the you know, the recipes that we used for um the different slices and cakes and whatnot and so yeah pretty much learned how to do everything and then I do remember one Christmas uh, the owners were away and we were all away and I needed to get back to work and they they sort of wanted another week off and I said well I need to be working <laughs> yeah I put week off. Um, and they said well if you want to open the shop it's up to you you have to hire your own staff and um, make everything and I'm like fine so I did wow Um, how did it go yeah Yeah, it went really well it was fine um there was two girls that were working part-time at the shop at the time anyway so I just rang them up to see if they could help me out and they could and we opened up the shop and did really well what were the biggest uh money spinners what were the most favorite things out of the slices and cakes Ooh, that's a good question. Probably like the vanilla slicer. We call them cast squares. I think they're called vanilla slice over here. Yes. Um, and we used to do hot meat sandwiches as well, and they were really popular. We had pork, roast chicken, or roast beef. Yum. Um, they have all the trimmings on it, and they were served in big, thick slices of white bread, um, but the meat was roasted and had like with the pork, I think we had applesauce, Roast beef had gravy and chicken had gravy as well. Or oh, might have been cranberry sauce. I can't remember. It was a long time ago now. But, yeah, I do remember those. They were very popular, especially in the wintertime. I, I can see those, yeah, for sure, being nice, good tummy warmers. Yeah, definitely good solid food, hey? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, when did the sailing start to enter into your life? Did you Were you sailing in New Zealand? Um, oh god, not for a long time after that. Um, I ended up working on a dairy farm in the South Island, and that's kind of where it all started because the guy I was working for at the time he was into sailing, ah. and then 
we eventually um, became an item and he was he'd had enough of dairy farming at that point and wanted to buy a, buy a boat and sail it back to New Zealand and asked me if I'd be interested and I'm like sure <laughs> <laughs> but why not <laughs> anyway so he had a small sailboat at the time and it was in um Picton oh no not Picton sorry Nelson um and so Oh, no, it was picked in. So we sailed it from, he sailed it to Nelson and then I helped sail it back from Nelson to Picton um, just to get a taste of whether or not I like to sail. And, yeah, I did. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, did you have really any seasickness it. issues in the beginning? No, never. I never had, I think there's only been one time where I've ever felt seasick and that was when I was working on a classic yacht in um, Yorker. And over there, when you buy your chickens, they, their heads are still attached. <laughs> and I didn't know this because it looked, it was all like perfectly, you know, displayed with no head on show. <laughs> it wasn't until I had it downstairs and I, I was pulling it out of its packet um, and its head flopped around and I saw its face and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I'm all about eating meat. I have no worries whatsoever, but it's got a face attached. It makes it a bit different. <laughs> this poor face was looking at me and it had its beak and everything. I'm like, oh, no. And I was underneath, um, I was down in the hole and it was it was warm and I just had to run upstairs and I just went white apparently. Oh. I'm going to take a sit down here for a bit. And the owner gave me a seasick tablet, which was, the wrong thing to do because it just made me really really ill yeah yeah so it's, it never works once you're already there it, when you're feeling mm. sick it, it's hard to turn that around that's for sure so yeah but that's really the only time I've been sick I've been very lucky well you're very you are very lucky so mm. you and your then boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. decide that you're going to leave New Zealand and end up in the British Virgin Islands or the Caribbean how did that come to be? The idea was to look at, because he'd done all his research and he'd found all these boats all over the place. So we were going, we did a trip around the States um, and pretty much down the East Coast, really, um, stopping into the little, all the little ports along the way to look at all these different boats that he'd found online that he wanted to buy. Um, and then nothing was really suitable. And then he found this one in the British Virgin Islands. So he's like, well, let's go there. I'm like, where is that? <laughs> I'd never heard of it. <laughs> so off we went to the British Virgin Islands and um, here's this boat in Roadtown. And was that a monohull or, or was it a catamaran? It was a monohull. Um, I, all I remember of that boat was the, the guy that owned it was in Iraq at the time. Wow. Fighting the war. And it was very difficult to get on the phone. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I don't even really remember why he decided not to buy that boat. There was something about it that wasn't quite right that he decided that he didn't want to buy it. But because we had been there for a while and we met a few people around that were working at the moorings, we were like, oh, maybe we should come back here and work. So we sort of got all the information we needed and realised we had to go back to New Zealand in order to start the process of getting a visa. Yes, it, it, 
it, it is a, a bit of a process, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Work permits and B1, B2 visas, US visas, is a, is a whole paraphernalia oh, of things. BWs, um, yeah, your police checks, everything you've got to do when you're out of the country. Exactly. So do you remember what kind of boat you were on when you first joined the moorings? Yeah, it was a 45-foot catamaran. Do you remember your first charter? Uh, I do, actually. They were really nice. They were from Norway, of all places. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. They came on board. There was a really nice family. They had limited English, but they could, you know, they got by. Obviously, I didn't have any Norwegian. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah, surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, And they were like, so how long have you been doing this for? And I literally looked at my watch and was like, "Hmm, half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But they they were super cruisy and really relaxed and just enjoyed themselves so much. And we're just so thankful to be there that, you know, they didn't even care that we hadn't done any chartering before. And how was that first menu? Do you, did it go fairly smoothly? Um, I think so. Like they seemed happy with the food that I had cooked. I mean, we had to do a menu plan and present it to our um, our manager before we went out. So she went over everything and said, "Oh, perhaps you shouldn't do this, or perhaps you should do this." Or so you may had to make sure you had a protein, a veg, and a carb sort of thing. Um, and it was pretty low, like it wasn't the high-end stuff that you were used to where you had to have like five courses or anything. It was just very basic. Yeah. It was not even a starter. It was just hors d'oeuvres, dinner and dessert in the evenings, um, breakfast and then lunch, and then there was snacks throughout the day that they could help themselves to. But most people didn't want to eat that much anyway because it was so hot. Yeah. Um, sort of lose your appetite and sometimes too much food becomes more of a hindrance to them really so absolutely and i i, I think yeah sorry I was, just, I was gonna say for those out there that are considering entering into the chartering industry and you know it, you're brand new to it and maybe you're a couple moorings is a great um charter fleet to join as a starting oh, yeah. point there's so many crew there that have done a lot of different things too and they're all really willing to help you out so we were we were really lucky yeah and I it, it, once you've sort of done that for a while it, it is good on your CV private boat owners that can see that you've hung in there really appreciate that because they know you know you work hard at moorings or sun sail. it's yeah it's definitely a good starting point but so for, for you guys, you how, how long were you working together at Moorings? Oh, that's a good question. I just remember I'd done 44 charters. So Wow. Um, how many seasons that was? Three well, you can, you can do 17 to 20 in a, on, on a busy season. Yeah. So yeah, maybe a couple I think of years. we did like two and a half perhaps, yeah. two and a half seasons. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's. Sort of what we did there, and two two and a half in in chartering is like twenty years in real life. <laughs> <laughs> <You're right. laughs> it's pretty full on. Exactly. So you you and your partner uh, end the relationship, and you decide that yeah. you you want to stay around. Um, yeah, and you you figure that you're going to 
put your your toe into the water in into the private yacht industry how did how did that work what how did you get to that yeah well I kind of I decided I didn't want to go home because it was June and as you know in the southern hemisphere that's winter and we'd been in the heat for so long and I just didn't want to come home till winter I was just loving the sun so much so I decided to go freelancing um, without a clue I (laughs) just basically said I'm available and I think I had one day where I wasn't working and literally worked every day for 11 months just non-stop I was so busy um which companies did you approach to to look for work it was more word of mouth um because I didn't I don't think I had a work permit that lasted any length of time so I basically just word of mouthed it and then I think my first job came from a couple that were working for the moorings and she just found out that she was pregnant. Her and her husband didn't want to hang around. They wanted to head back to South Africa. And right. she, they asked me if I'd do the um, chefing and I was like, sure. So I basically stepped on board the boat with less than 24 hours preparation. Um, the boat was going out the next morning and I got told about it that evening. Oh, my about God. I know, and she'd done all the shopping and she basically gave me all her recipes and said, this is what I've planned for the week. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Sure, I can do this. (laughs) So, yeah, I just went on board and once I've had a real good visual of everything in the cupboards, I can pretty much remember it. So I needed to be able to boss it and also put it in the order that I'm, I'm a bit anal where it comes to having everything in its place at the beginning of the chart and it might be a mess starts off a good place it just helps with my OCD I think (laughs) Um, yeah yeah I mean every 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 chef has a different way of working that's for sure once I'd gone through the cupboards and realized that she never goes through her cupboards and there was like I don't know five packets of flour and six or something else and she still just kept ordering the same stuff each week I was just (laughs) like oh no not going to work for my head so yeah I had to sort of like sort it all out put all the excess away and once I was once I'd done that I was I was fine yeah (laughs) now you you and I have kind of followed each other onto a number of jobs but um the first one I'm thinking of was um the boat was called um was it Margo yeah or, or, ah, yes. or Stenella, which one was first? That oh, would have been Margot. Margot, yeah, yep. definitely. Because you'd already done it. I think you'd already cooked on Margot, hadn't you? And then I, yeah, I think I was approached. I, I came the- I came yeah. after you, I think. I was actually on another boat right. at the time. Didn't you help the owner of that boat outfit it? Was no. Not, not me. I don't. Uh, okay. Yeah, but we we actually met at a at a boat show when you were on Margot and um, I was on Lazy Bones directly across. Oh, yes, I do remember that. Yes, and that was I was like, huh, this person's got a good sense of humor. This could be a, a nice uh, <laughs> connection here. <laughs> so you <laughs> so you you were. Working on Stenella, describe that kind of boat to everybody. Stenella or? Yep. Um, I mean, Margo. sorry, Margot. Yeah. 
Margot. Margot was a I never I never remember the names of the actual like I remember the name of the boat, but the, the type of boat it was. I know it was a monohull. Was it I a don't remember. Oh yeah, it was too. Was it yep. Benetton? Yeah, I think it was. I think you're right. It was a very pretty boat. Um, yes. Really beautiful boat inside. A lot very roomy too. It was a nice boat to charter in. And it was nice to charter in an actual yacht too because every else every, every other charter rather had been a um catamaran for me so it was quite a different experience so every time we sailed we actually were under sail and you were you're healing over it was it was really cool it was an interesting uh job though there's some this doesn't happen often in our industry but on this boat it was an owner operator so the person that owned the boat was also the captain what was that mm. like? I mean, it was it was different. Um, <laughs> he had had a few relationships too, and I think um, he was wanting more probably than I, obviously just wanting a job. Um, and so, yeah, there was that, that time where he would – be looking for his wallet and kind of treat me like his wife and like have you seen my wallet have you seen this and I was like oh this is getting this is a bit much after just going through a breakup I wasn't quite ready for that sort of commitment yeah yeah it's it's a weird dynamic and and I think you know he was like you said he he was a single man looking to to kind of meet that special person and maybe combine the chef position with girlfriend <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just which wasn't well, that that's what he had on his on his mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a weird environment when you're working as a team on a boat if you're not a couple, because mm. you know, I mean, I've done trips years ago when I was doing those sorts of jobs, where sometimes you 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 actually have to. There's it's a double bed that you're sharing. So you you're, you know, say you're in an office for the day in a normal job mm. on land. At the end of the night, you don't normally climb into bed with your fellow worker. Unless you've had a few yeah. beverages and you know it's a Christmas party, but I won't go yeah. there. But you know, I mean, it generally you don't sleep with the person you're working with. No. Exactly. I remember doing one charter with a, I can't even remember the name of the captain now. It was interesting. We were, we were having to share a, a berth, um, obviously on charter, but until that was to happen, I assumed he was going to sleep somebody somewhere else. And of course, he comes into bed in the middle of the night after being out and I had already gone to bed and I woke up and he's next to me. I'm like, What? <laughs> What are you doing? I told him off. <laughs> I served him <laughs> with some angry papers. <laughs> yeah, good. I good for you. Yeah, I, I I had a I had a charter years ago, and it was the same thing. It was it was me and um, this captain who happened to come from New Zealand, um, and he was at the time he was dating one of my closest friends. And uh, uh, they were looking for just a freelance chef. So the, the setup on this boat was that the, the crew cabin was a double bed. But I thought, well, since, you know, he is dating my friend, 
you know, he probably would do the gentlemanly thing, which a lot of captains will do, and that is just go and sleep on the couch in the salon and mm-hmm. and leave me to have some space. But that wasn't the case. <laughs> and I woke, I woke up and because I, I felt a body next to me and it was him <laughs> and he was butt naked. And oh, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I decided that it might be a good idea since he wasn't planning on leaving the bed that I go out and sleep on the couch and maybe have a conversation with um, my my friend later on just to fill her in on uh, the extracurricular possible activities of of her partner. Yeah, especially the fact that he was naked. Like I know. (laughs) Unless he was like a bit drunk and was just complacent and didn't, couldn't remember that you were in that bed. <laughs> he had a conversation. I, I think he was fully aware. Oh, <laughs> he was just a go. bit of a naughty boy. Yeah. Is that your flashlight or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually trying to keep it pre- pretty uh, <laughs> mainstream. But, yeah, there were there were certainly reasons to leave the bed. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> there were flashlights everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you were also on um, Stenella, which is was owned by a, a good friend of ours, Andy, who's actually been on my podcast twice now. Um, and he he had broken up with a, a really lovely uh, chef friend of ours as well, and they'd gone their separate ways. So he was needing to finish the season with. Um, chef or chefs um, before he looked at selling his boat and I think we came up with the plan of of tag teaming so if if I was busy you did the charters vice versa Um, do you want to talk about that (laughs) hold Andy (laughs) Andy. he's 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 good value we we gave him a hard time I think (laughs) yeah Searching for sympathy after his, his breakup and <laughs> he's in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got a you've got a Kiwi and an Aussie girl. They're they're not known for the probably the more gentle, touchy feeliness of of American ladies. Yeah, we're right, mate. Yeah, we're right. <laughs> out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy was great. He's he was um, a very knowledgeable captain too. So and also sailor as you know um so it was always very entertaining and enjoy and lots of enjoyment um yeah and knowledge of the bbi is is extent so it's really actually i i used to enjoy just listening to him chatting away upstairs with the 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 guests and he's he's a great sailor what i loved working with him was that if we were ever out no matter what boat was near us if they were slightly in front it was a race so (laughs) he'd race every boat near us which was fun because it really got the the guests all g'd up and and Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that part of it too that was really cool and he's also so competent at sailing he'd end up sailing the boat by himself so a lot of the time he wouldn't get you to help him exactly anything you want me to do anything (laughs) (laughs) um and and a really lovely person in you know I just mentioned the story previously of sharing my bed with uh someone who shouldn't have been there (laughs) he was lovely he owned the boat but he would sleep in this tiny little couch just out in like a little mini office area and he'd leave 
you with the the full yeah. cabin to yourself, which was really lovely because he's a rugby yeah. body guy that was squished up into this tiny little space. Poor thing. Yeah. It's very was very a, gentlemanly. Yeah, he's always a- gentleman like that he never, yes ever, which was a, a, a relief really because you know you're going on on board these boats with especially when i was freelancing you just didn't know what you're going to get so when when they um they give up their bed for you it's very very kind it is it is that's i mean and and as i've i've said many a time before you know working on boats that it's they're long hard days so you know, you want to be able to sleep well at the end of the night, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then getting up early too. So Ugh. and he'd getting up early and he'd he'd be in his little room and he couldn't get away from any noise whatsoever. And you'd have to be as quiet as you could or you tried to be. And you're walking you across floorboards that are squeaking. Yeah, like creaking <laughs> and <laughs> no, he was a trooper for sure. He, he definitely. Now we've we've all we've all had um, interesting charters. Are there any that stand out for you? Um, I do remember this one group of people we had on board, and they had a little boy. And I used to always have a lot of fun with the kids on board the boat. Um, and he was desperate to try and catch a fish. And I I didn't used to like people taking anything out of the ocean that had any critter in it that was alive. I'd always you know, if they, they collect a shell that had a shellfish attached to it, I'd always accidentally put it back into the ocean for them to say, oh, it must have fallen over the side or something. Mm. But this little boy was desperately trying to catch a fish and he, he couldn't for the life of him catch a fish. Anyway, this uh, one morning I got up to go for a snorkel and lo and behold, there's this dead fish on the bottom of the ocean right underneath the boat. And it was very random. I've never seen one like it was intact and everything. So whether or not somebody else had caught a fish and thrown it over, I don't know. Mm. However, I, I grabbed this wee fish and he'd leave his um, rod over the side every night, hoping there'd be a fish on it the next morning. So I hooked this fish on on the hook for him the next day. So when he'd check his fishing line, he pulled it up. He's like, oh, I've got a fish. Oh, Vicky, that so, is such a lovely thing to do. It was so cute. And I told him that I had put it on because the fish was obviously dead and quite stiff. Yeah, you well and truly killed this fish when you were fishing. I know. He doesn't care, though. He was pretty cute. But, yeah, that was a standout moment. There's been a few. Lovely. There was another one. Actually... Oh, he got on board the boat. He was he was on charter with his two daughters. And he he was just no nonsense. He basically just he 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 gave us our tip before we even started the charter. Wow. He like, I want a good trip. He gave us this tip. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. Anyway, the night before he'd had a big night and he'd had lots to drink and he was suffering the next day. And he said he his belly was really tight and his liver was so blown up from all the alcohol he'd drunk. God. Um, yeah, I know. I'd never seen anything like it. Anyway, so he didn't really like to listen too much to instructions. And we were coming in behind Peter Island there and going to anchor off. But the, you know how there's a really, a really strong current that passes through there? Yes. Uh, and there was quite a good wind blowing as well. Anyway, he was on standing on the back of the boat. And I think I was going up to drop the mainsail 
so that we could then anchor. And um, as we came around into the heading into wind, his hat blew off. And he's like, oh, no, my favourite hat. And the captain's like, don't jump. And I never thought for a second he's going to jump. But sure enough, straight over the back of the boat. Oh, no. And, of course, you know what it's like when you hit current. Yes. And we're going forward, he's going back, and he just literally disappeared within seconds. Whoa. And I didn't take my eye off him. I, I just carried on looking. And I, in the meantime, I'm supposed to be trying to drop this mainsail. Oh, and God. the captain was angry at the move that he'd made. And I was like, okay, um, I can't drop the mainsail right now. We've got a man in the water and I'm going to lose sight of him. So oh. we fortunately threw a rope over the side and managed to get the mainsail down and then just sort of turned around and picked him up. But he realized the mistake he'd made after he jumped in and how quickly we disappeared from his view. Um, yeah, when he got back on the board the boat, we didn't really need to say too much for him. No. <laughs> I bet he was so, pretty yeah, subdued was, for the rest of the trip. Yeah, he was very quiet for the rest of the day for sure anyway. But, that, um, yeah, it's interesting, hey, because that could how, how, how quickly that could have turned real very bad. Very nasty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, the good idea is to actually listen to the people that are on board the boat and maybe not do crazy things. (laughs) It's frustrating. We had had another group of people on board that it was, it was when, towards the end of the season, uh, Maureen's used to just rent out a room on the boat. So you'd get six people come on board and potentially they didn't know each other. They're all just people that were just going for this holiday. And what you got was what you got, basically. And we got this group. There were six of them. There's two couples, really nice. And then the third couple were nice also. They were just terribly overweight and struggled mm. with just walking, much less getting up and down stairs on a boat or getting off the back of the boat to go snorkeling or getting into a dinghy. Mm. Just, there was just no way you'd be able to lift them in. And they certainly couldn't lift themselves in. Anyway, he had really bad diabetes, but it was obviously diet diabetes. Mm. Um, And he was all blown up. His legs were all blown up anyway. He wanted to go snorkeling. And he went snorkeling and then kind of got tired, I think, and stopped and stood on the coral and took his flippers off and got cut to pieces with all the coral. Ooh, that would be... his feet were all chopped to pieces. So we had to get him back on board the boat and then take the boat over back to Rowtown where we picked him up. We spent the first night on the dock because he was in hospital getting his feet um, wrapped up. Oh, my God. go swimming for the rest of the charter. Ugh. And he was taking pills for heart, pills for just about everything you can think of. He was taking pills. Uh, one to counteract the next one. And then, of course, with them sitting on board a boat in the salt air, his legs blew up like a big balloon. Wow. And then they were worried about the water he was holding. It was just a nightmare. So these poor people that had also booked their charter with them kind of put a bit of a damper on their, their uh, week away because the charter had to sort of be go around this man that had got himself. Into a bit of bother. Even though we'd said, look, 
If you're having trouble, just wave out. We'll come and get you on the dinghy. I mean, we could have even just towed him back to the boat. He wasn't that far away, but instead he decided to take his slippers off and walk on the sharp coral. <laughs> you know, you're reminding me of a story. Um, again, this was a, a, a charter from years back when on this particular boat, I was the only crew. So it was a chef and then it was um, guests that were sailing the boat for the week. And a pretty inexperienced, but really heavy on all the gadgets that go, like they'd gone nuts on buying the gloves and the shoes and the outfits and they looked the oh, part, yeah. but maybe yeah. they weren't exactly ready for, for, you know, a week out on the sea. One of the ladies was helping get the anchor up and she managed to get a hand wrapped around the drum and ripped off the top layer of her hand so oh, that all the no. bones were showing. Um yeah. So one of the, I was, I think I was, we'd all been swimming, so I, we're all wet and they, they came and got me. So I went running down these wooden steps into the boat and of course slipped all the way down and fractured ribs at the time. I, I didn't know, I knew I was in pain, but I was too busy oh. trying to get the first aid kit for her. And then we, it was, you know, I managed to wrap up her hand, which was obviously profusely bleeding and gave her a bottle of rum to slug on. And then raced over. We're in Kangard Bay, and it was like a Sunday. And I, I went to the public hospital, and they looked at it, and they were like, "This is beyond us. We need to get the plastic surgeon in at the private hospital." He was out on his boat, so they had to call him up. He came back, and so she and I were standing at the front door of the hospital because, for some reason, it was closed. And I ended up being the nurse for the surgery of a hundred stitches later in her hand. Oh my God. Yeah, it was intense, but she sent me photos months later and he was such a good plastic surgeon that you couldn't even see, you know, scarring on her hand. It was just so well done. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Would have cost a small fortune, but, you know, at the end of the day, she, she had a, a, a great hand. So thank God for oh, that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awful, isn't it? And what about your ribs? What happened to you? Well, I, I, I kept breathing in and you obviously when you've got a fractured rib, it's a sharp pain. So I waited until the end of, I think we were two days before the end of the charter. And then I went to the public hospital and had x-rays done and there were two ribs that were fractured and they just wrapped up my, you know, there's nothing they can do. They just bound me up with bandages and that was it, but um, yeah, it was, it was a good times on that boat. <laughs> yeah, craziness. But um, so, you know, as a chef uh, in our business, there's always moments where things maybe don't go the way you want them to. Have you ever had any situations like that? Um, yes. Yes, I have, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'd, I'd cooked a pavlova for dessert and I had it on the on the bench um, cooling off and uh, we probably hit a big wake or something. Anyway, it ended up on the floor in a million pieces. Picked <laughs> oh, <laughs> it all oh. up into a, a place and I made a Deconstructed pap, I guess. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's going to still taste at the end of the day. It tastes just that as nice. It's just maybe not <laughs> the same way you expected it to be in the first exactly. place. <laughs> the shape of it was slightly off. Um, that happened. Um, I had uh, my last packet of rice I was cooking up and I cut the top off and put it in the 
pot of boiling water and <laughs> I know quite a large number of weevils floated to the surface. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to sieve all of them off the top <laughs> and carry on cooking because I didn't have any other rice left. And it was fun. Like I think it might have been like the last night on board where everything, all your stock's quite low. And yeah, anyway. <laughs> were there were, were any guests walking past as you're sieving out the the weevils? <laughs> Uh, it's whole meal, uh, I would have said. It's whole meal or wild rice. <laughs> a bit tonight. of extra protein. <laughs> Little black protein balls floating around there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you yeah. you um, you decided that you wanted to expand um, your chartering and you ended up doing an Atlantic crossing that took you over to the Med. What was that like? Yeah, that was fun. Um, different. And scary, really. Um, we we headed off from the US Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, mm. and our first stop was the Azores, which is it's about 100 miles off the coast of Portugal. Could be even more, actually. I can't remember the exact distance. But <clears throat> we stayed there, like reprovisioned the boat, and then there was a massive storm um that was going to get in our way and if we'd waited for the storm it would have put us behind and we had to be in Croatia uh no not was it Croatia no we were going to Mallorca um and we had to be there by a certain time because we're picking up the owner and some of us crew were getting off and flying back to where we came from but the owner was meeting the boat there and he was going to be there at a certain time so we couldn't wait too long so if we headed off in a certain direction, then the storm would just get the tail end of the storm. But mm. the tail end of the storm was 50 kilometer um, hour winds, um, God. 20 to 30 foot seas. So it was a big storm. So, and we're all doing um, we're doing watches. So there was two on and two, yeah, two on, four off. So there was six six people on board. And I was also doing the food as well. Wow. But I had prepped beforehand and done a few things that we could like big like casserole type dishes that you just one 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 pot one wonders that you can just whip out yeah. and eat up. Yeah. And I remember I had one of them in the oven and I obviously hadn't locked the oven door and I went down to check on it. Oh. We healed over and it came shooting out and landed on me. Oh god. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> But I, I didn't get really get badly burnt. It was just a couple of little burns on my arms, nothing major. But pretty much everybody on board that boat got seasick. And the other girl that was on board with us, the other woman, she was seasick for a good three of the trip. She oh, was a little girl. Um, but, yeah, I was running around changing everyone's few buckets. And I did, oh. it didn't affect me for some reason. It's, I'm really lucky, I think. I have this ability to be able to focus on one thing. So my job was to cook their food and look after them food-wise. And then if they were feeling unwell, then step up where I was needed there as well. And I do remember one stage the captain was really sick and he was trying to do his watch and he hadn't slept much and he just he was miserable. And I said to him, we need you. You're our captain. Yeah. So you need to go and rest and have another however many hours you need to, to become 
functioning again. <laughs> God, I bet he was he, grateful for that. Uh, he just didn't argue. He was so miserable. He was oh. so unwell. But I do remember there was probably in the whole trip, it got really scary there at one stage because we were all navigating the boat from under, um, down below. We weren't allowed to go up above the deck. It was just too dangerous. Um, when the boat was coming up over a wave and then hit down, the whole boat was shuddering and literally the whole boat was just covered by the waves. Oh, God. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, and I remember being on my bed and the lee cloth was stretched to <laughs> its limit. <laughs> and we were laying there. And you remember that scene in, um, <laughs> oh, what is it? The, oh, the boat. What's that boat movie where they sink? Titanic? That's it. That <laughs> <laughs> old couple laying side by side in bed and they're holding each other's hand as they die, basically, or drown. <laughs> yes. I remember laying on my bed going, I don't have anyone to hold my hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that only, sad. <laughs> it only lasted for 30 minutes and then it was fine, but... Yeah, there was definitely a moment there where my heart was skipping a beat quite a bit. And I was oh. thinking, this might not end well. No, God. Hmm. It, it's moments it like that that you think, what? Why Why am I doing this job again? What What was the reason for this? Get <laughs> it thought through this more. <laughs> yeah. So you spent some time in Croatia. What was that like? Oh, that was cool. I loved Croatia. Um, yeah, Croatia's, it was when, it was relatively untouched, really. Um, there were there were definite boats going there, and there were definite um, people visiting there, but it wasn't like it is now. So you'd go, I'd go ashore every morning and go for a walk. And I remember I was hiking through these hills, and there was all these little grapevines on the ground, but they weren't like big, huge ones. They were small and they had massive bunches of grapes on them. I used to pick bunches of grapes and take them back to the boat and everything. Mm. And I remember one of the guests on board, he goes, don't you get scared walking along those hills? And I'm like, no, why? Because there's still landmines there from the war. Oh, my God. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't used to go off the trails too much. I'd stick to the trail, but occasionally I'd see some grapes down further and I'd, Tap around there and Jeez, yeah, Vicky, you could have been legless. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, Dubrovnik oh. um, at night. Oh, if you ever get to go to Croatia, make sure you do Dubrovnik at night. It's just amazing. What 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 yeah. makes it special at night? It's just because of all the lights and the way the the angles of the lights. It just makes it just the building really magical. Just, yeah, just unreal, and the history there is just beyond words um there's definite areas we we visited in the countryside where there were like helmets hanging in trees and stuff and where the war happened um you can see the bombing of like churches and different buildings and different villages that have been all but wiped out there might be two people living in those villages still Um, so very very amazing um we used to go ashore and get go to the markets as well. They like fresh breads and stuff like that. Um, and there was, I used as I was walking, I remember one time I was going for a run and there was a woman 
standing there in all her Eastern European get up. Mm. And I looked at her and she looked at me and we did that double take thing. Like I was something out of the future. <laughs> she was something out of the past. <laughs> I used to try and take as many photos as I could. And that was a moment that I took pretty much a photo in my mind's eye of, wow, this is, this is where I am. This is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So you, you finished your, your stint in the med you, and you, you returned back to uh, the Caribbean, but you decide, oh, I've had enough of the boat thing. I'm going to try land-based work. And uh, after a bit, you end up running Mooney Bay Estate. Can you tell us about that? Mooney Bay, kind of a job I've, I pretty much fell into. Um, I, I had joined the local gym and one of the women that, ran the gym, she knew the owner of Mooney Bay Estate and she she told me that they were looking for someone to help them um, and that I should get in contact. So I was like, all right. So I got in contact with them and I went for an interview. And as you know, in the BVI, sometimes printers don't work over there. And it's not like you can just run down to your local... Um, office works. IP. Yeah, office works, whatever. Once the printers are down, that's it. You're screwed. You can't yeah. print anything. It's that bad. Um, so I literally rocked up to this job interview with my laptop. Read <laughs> 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 so my um, CV on my saved document, um, <laughs> and he he was like, "Yeah, yeah, we we'd be keen for you to join." Blah blah blah. And I assumed because there was no sort of mention of a full time geek that it was just for a week of maybe somebody coming to stay at the place and they needed help um, doing a bit of cooking or, you know, showing the people around. I wasn't really sure. I was a little bit lost. Mm. Um, anyway, by the time we sort of got through to the end of the interview, I was like, of course, it's a full-time job. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um what am I going to be doing? Like he basically was looking for a manager and I had no idea they wanted someone to manage the place. And I've never managed a place like that before. So it was all brand new. Um, and when I joined, um, I had a quick sort of introduction of a day, I think. And then it was basically, it's over to you. So how many, I, how many I, staff were working there under you? Well, it was just me um, the whole time, but they had, housekeeping staff would come over when there were guests staying there right um and there were maintenance staff that would come over and help with any issues that were going down and we had our fair share of issues so yeah yeah it was interesting they were they were there quite often maintaining how many people how many guests maximum could stay there there was six rooms um and each room had double bed in it so 12 guests but if you really wanted to jam pack it, you could. Like we had uh, super yacht um, regattas would come and stay and there'd be 17, 18 people, you know, might um, sleeping in the lounge, on the floor in different bedrooms. They also would make it one hub, like that would be the area where everyone came and ate and then they would sleep on boats out in the dock as well. Yeah. And you that you couldn't you couldn't get to this estate any other than by water. There was no road, right? To get yeah, down. that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's boat only access. So, um, yeah, it was very private. Um, 
And if you wanted to party hard, you could. You would not annoy any neighbours. There was no one around. It was great. And it overlooked. uh, You could see Mosquito Island from there. You could see Prickly Pear Island from there. So it was a beautiful spot within the bay. And it it also had a a pool and a tennis court as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your... property you you stayed you had your own caretaking cottage to one side I did yeah underneath like it was a two-story place and underneath was where the laundry was and like a service shed um and then above that was um a little two bedroom or one bedroom one office apartment I guess you could call it just on stilts so yeah, it was perfect. It, it, spot. it was. And and the cool thing was uh, when I was doing charters with Captain Andy that we'd mentioned earlier, we'd make a point of coming and mooring just off yeah. Mooney Bay Estate so that uh, Andy and I could come ashore and play with your little kid goats that you had okay, adopted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, adopted? I was forced to have those goats. Um, yeah. The owner of the property had the female goats and she had twins um, and promptly didn't want either one of them, basically. They kind of kept the male on her for a week, but she wouldn't let them feed. And I'd never seen the mother, but knowing what I know, I assumed she had what they call mastitis, which is an infection in her, her udder, oh. which is extremely painful. Yeah. And really, really hard for them to feed. And if it's that sore, which it obviously was, there's no way that she was going to be able to feed the baby. So, no. And the female was a lot buntier um, and forceful when it was drinking. So I guess that's why the female got kicked off straight away. But, yeah, I got these baby goats and they were brand new. And um, lucky for me, they sold goat milk in the local shop. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, I had these two goats that thought I was their mother. (laughs) (laughs) You were also the mother of a dog who was a bit of a a, a naughty boy, liked to escape. Rodney the Roman. (laughs) Rodney was a free spirit. He just just liked his own space. And and when I first got him, he actually liked to chase trucks, the silly fool. I was walking him down the road one day and he took off chasing after this truck. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to get yourself killed. So I managed to get him on his lead and we, we got we got that out of him. He stopped doing that. Um, but, yeah, he was a, a real island dog. He was a cool little dude. Um, <laughs> Deagle Cross was something. Um, and he lived with me over there at Mooney Bay. But occasionally he'd escape from Mooney Bay and go around the side of the building and, and swim around the rocks and um, end up at Leverick Bay begging for food <laughs> off the guest. And I remember coming around in the boat one day in the dinghy and I tied it up and I saw him there begging off people and they're like, oh, look at this. surprised. And he, you can tell he didn't miss a meal. Anyway, I went up and I'm like, what are you doing? And he just hit the ground like, oh, no, I've been caught. <laughs> I've been that sprung way. by my mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you, when you were running Mooney Bay, you very kindly um, organised for uh, the, us to come and film my TV show. I think it was over a, a long weekend where we we crammed in. I can't remember how many guest chefs, but there was a lot um, from yeah. all the 
crazy, wasn't it? It was such good fun. But all the chefs from yeah. all the resorts and restaurants and islands nearby. Um, and it was it was just it was a really cool environment. And you know, a lot of the chefs would stick around and watch the next chef go on and see what they were doing. And the kitchen at Mooney Bay was just perfect for filming because it was just this big long counter. Um, that just, you know, was a good setup for showcasing the food. Um, yeah. But I remember we'd been going and going and going. We had one episode left and it was this lovely lady that ran a health food shop. Her name was Sister Ruby. And we were tempted to, to cancel because all of us were exhausted, the crew, you, me, everybody. And, and it was a bit too late and she had arrived. So we thought, no, no, we've just got to go ahead and do it. But none of us we weren't completely into the whole episode when we first started, but she ended up being the best, I think, out of everyone that we had over that those few days. Would I agree. agree. She was so much fun. Yeah, totally. She was so good and so knowledgeable. Like, yes. You, without being judgy, when she arrived, I was like, oh. <laughs> what's going to happen here because she was all about the health stuff which I really enjoy anyway I'm yes. interested in some of the stuff the knowledge that she had was just unreal hey oh incredible um and we actually brought you into uh <laughs> yeah. you, you, you talk sorry you, I was just going to say you talk about the time at Mooney Bay with you and the two things that come to mind are Sister Ruby and Malay <laughs> And molasses, yeah. yeah. Sister Ruby decided to give you a um, uh, some sort of skincare routine that required smearing molasses in a hot kitchen all over your face, <laughs> which uh, was great TV. I'm not sure the most pleasant for the person getting the molasses smeared all over them. <laughs> it was actually not too bad. It was nice when it was wiped off because my face felt really smooth, so it did have a nice feel to it, but... At the time when it was dripping down my face, and <laughs> my lips, it was quite tasty. <laughs> well, you know, you... Sister Ruby helped me out, and to this day, I still tell people about it. I got bitten by a brown recluse over there, which is a spider. Yeah, and it's the flesh-eating spider. So, if you ever Google brown recluse flesh wounds, you'll see these nasty big bites, um, and it, it appears as a pimple or what looks like a pimple on your hand. And I had two of these spots when I woke up the next day. Anyway, I was on my way to the doctor because I put a photo up on a local Facebook page saying, does anyone know what this is? Someone said, brown recluse, get to the doctor ASAP. So I was like, oh, okay. So off I went. Um, and on the way, I happened to fall into her health food shop. I think I needed some deodorant or something. Anyway, while I was there, I happened to show her my hand and said, what do you make of these? I've been told they're a brown recluse spider. And she was like, oh, no, and took off out the back and she started grinding up this charcoal and adding water and she made this poultice and put it all over my hands mm. and wrapped my hands up, made me ingest a heap of charcoal tablets and then suggested I do the same thing when I get home and then take some more for, you know, the next couple of days. Um, and then just see how how it goes. And it was because of that that cured my hand. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Like, like charcoal's an unreal, uh, 
medicine, really. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Yes, you have a lot to thank for the, the fa- fantastic Sister Ruby, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, you eventually decide that um, it's time to move back to New Zealand. You've got um, a partner who's keen to have you back and you, mm-hmm. you spend a bit of time in New Zealand together doing bits and pieces. You, Nigel is his name and you, you're living with him and his family for a while, but then you decide... Eh, it's time for a change. We're gonna gonna go to Australia, and how did that come to be? Um, well, actually, before I met Nige, I was I had come back to Australia to work in the outback as a cook. So in between, I had gone back to New Zealand. I started cooking for a sharing gang in New Zealand um, for a bit, and I worked in another sort of within hospitality over there, needed a change, moved back to Australia, um, found a job in the outback and was cooking in the outback. And from there I went to America where Nigel was at the time to visit him. And that's when he decided he was going to come back with me and work on the same outback farm. And we worked there for a little bit, but once we finished there, we went back to New Zealand and that's when we stayed with his family. And, um, he, um, we had decided that we wanted to make uh, do our own business, um, and we moved back to Australia. We got married first, and then moved back to Australia seven years ago. Um, and originally, we we're going to start our own business uh, tree as a like, because he's into he does trees and um, as an arborist. Right. We were going to do that over here, um, but because we'd been in Blenheim for so long and previous to that in the outback, we weren't used to a city. And so Brisbane was just a bit busy for us. So that's why we moved to the Sunshine Coast. Um, and then he got a job working as an arborist. And I got a job. I actually was, I got a job volunteering at first at, Australia Zoo. Which for everyone out there is famous because that's what Steve Irwin founded. Well, his father, I believe, founded the zoo. So that's where Bindi and Terry and Steve operated. And so you 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 start off volunteering there and then that leads to a, a full-time position. Yes. Yeah. I volunteered for it was two and a half months and then I got offered a job there. So I was working part-time and then my part-time position got offered into a full-time position um, and I worked in the birds department for four and a half years until COVID hit actually. That's how I ended up leaving there. Um, when COVID hit, all the part-time staff um, were laid off and I had reduced my hours back to part-time work um, when we bought our business. So, um, yeah. That was that was a very cool part time of my life. I I would say that was probably my dream job. Yes, um, working as a zookeeper, thoroughly enjoyed it. Anyone that knows you knows your passion for animals. That's for sure. Mm. And so you uh, you moved on, and and now you're the chief executive officer of the <laughs> concrete cutting business. <laughs> of the concrete cutting business that we bought. 
Yes. Um, yeah, my husband and I run a concrete cutting business. He, I help him in some days, like two or three days a week, helping on the tools, depending on how many jobs we have on. And then the rest of the time I'm in office. Doing but when you're not yeah. doing that, you've just started doing something that's pretty impressive and I've actually seen it with my eyes, both of them, two <laughs> eyes. Um, <laughs> that's Love your eyes. Fit, yeah, fitness model competing. Is Am I saying that right? Is it? Yeah, well, just body. But I mean bodybuilding. They, they say anything you're doing to change your body is bodybuilding. Bodybuilding. So whether it's a um, fitness model or um, figure, whatever, it's called bodybuilding, yeah. Yeah, so I started doing that a couple of years ago. So how, how often do you train to, to be able to be ready for competition? Um, I train five days a week. So I go to the gym five days a week. I have anything from two to three PT sessions a week, um, just depending on how much motivation I need, <laughs> how many <laughs> how many boots I need up the butt to get me to do it. Um, but yeah, so it's a it's it's a huge commitment. Um, a lot of people do it six days a week, but when you're um, older and have got the odd injury, you need to rest because you don't grow your muscle unless you're resting it. So if you're working out six days a week and seven days a week, you're not actually growing. You're just constantly stressing your muscle. Well, that, that's so good really advice really for important. people out there. Yeah, it's really, really important you have those rest days and you find if you take, you know, four or five days off the gym, your strength goes through the roof because your body's had a really good chance to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Now, no, not only are you um, obviously very impressive with all of that, but you are also an incredible photographer and famous because you have been the photographer for my cookbook, which you filmed on location in the beautiful area of Nooseville in Queensland uh, at an estate that we had to do that work. And the photos came out spectacularly. I, I'm so grateful. They look beautiful. So thank you for that. Thank you. I had such a good time doing that. Um, yes, that was, uh, you know what? I hate to admit this, but I still have not bought one of your books. You, you don't have to. <laughs> um, I want to, so I can show off. <laughs> um, and not only that, but you also did um, a photography book from your time when you were at the, was it the shearing job? Oh, yeah, when I was doing working and um, cooking for the shearing gang. I did, actually. I, I did a, um, a photo book of a lot of the different sheds I went to because a lot of the sheds out um, in New Zealand are really, really old. And there's one shed that I worked at that was over 100 years old. It wow. was just, just amazing. Hey, um, beautiful subject to photograph with different light, lights coming in. And so, yeah, I did that. And I, um, I had a book printed just through the websites that you can go on and get books printed i think it was called blurb blurb.com oh yeah i know the one you're talking about yeah yeah called the shed yeah Shed's it's and it was it's such a beautiful book i mean and the photos are, they're all black and white am i right in saying that um i think i have some color in them some the ones color. the old yeah. the old shed 
Um, I did a lot of them in black and white and I did kind of like a sepia tone as well. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. No, really beautiful. Um, Vicky, this is a question that I ask everybody. Um, if you could be on any boat as a charter guest for the week and in any destination, what type of boat and where would it be? Um, I'd have to say, hmm, where would I want to go? I've, I, I've thought about this every time because I listen to all your um, podcasts. Thank you. And I like to listen to everybody's response to this question. I've often <laughs> thought about this. I would like to go. And it would have to be, I think, the Galapagos Islands. <gasps> oh, yes. Some sort of that or a trip to Alaska on a expedition type boat. Yes. Uh, or, yeah, wildlife nature. Oh, but, yeah, that Galapagos sounds amazing. Would be amazing. Oh. And Madagascar, actually. Madagascar would be another one. But although I don't think it would be good to charter, it's more of an island to go um, hiking over and checking out the wildlife. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a pretty impressive. I'll have to add that to my list of boats and destinations now too. (laughs) I I better win the lottery. We could do that for our 60th. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Vicky, if people want to follow you on social media, whether it's through the business um, or just through your amazing photos that you take, have it? Are you on Instagram or Facebook? What would what would be the best way for people to see you? I'm on I'm on both. I'm on Instagram, so I'm the pet woo um, on Instagram, or under Easy Cut Concrete, um, and Facebook is just Vicky Pettigrew. Perfect. Yes, hmm. very. Um, Vicky, I want to thank you very much for um, taking time out of your day because you are a very tricky person to pin down you were extremely busy (laughs) (laughs) and maybe a little hesitant about getting on my podcast (laughs) i want to join this book (laughs) (laughs) and i I knew once i got you you'd be okay and you were amazing today so i want to say thank you so much for that i really appreciate it you're welcome thank you i appreciate you asking me Well, enjoy the rest of your day and I'm sure I will see you soon. I will. Thank you. Yes, we definitely need to catch up soon. Definitely. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead, and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.